Good morning, everybody. So, um, as I went down for my second bow when I came in, um, the thought arose, I actually have no idea how Sashin works. <laughs> um, that really, uh, it's a mystery. And um, it's a mystery that I've come to really enjoy and trust. <laughs> and um, for me, uh, the job, my job is this morning, is to just um, further encourage myself and further encourage all of you um, to study this mystery. And to hang in there. And um, the Sashin, the Rahatsu Sashin uh, teaching lineup <laughs> is that day two is the day that the teacher speaks about difficulties, about hindrances. This is the tra trajectory. And somehow I always get day two. I'm always. <laughs> I'm always the one to speak about hindrances. I wonder why that is. And I'm actually glad to do so because, um, in a way, hindrances get a bad name. <laughs> they have a bad rap. And um, when we're talking about the hindrances, another way to talk about this is really <clears throat> this negative karmic conditioning, these habits that we, um, when we sit down on the cushion, uh, we, they, we, they just get foreground for us. And in a way, that's the whole purpose of this strange uh, ceremony of zazen after zazen after zazen that we do. So here are the hindrances um, as we traditionally talk about them. First is sensory desire. And so that is um, just being moved around by our senses. I smell the food in the kitchen. And when is lunch going to happen? My stomach growls. Um, I'm uncomfortable, and I want to go lay down in the storage room for a zazen period. <laughs> We see all, everyone. <laughs> so, so when we uh, just, in the subtlest of ways, just a thought comes up of, of something that's lovely um, and enticing, and we're gone, right? We've left our intention to just um, stay here. And then <clears throat> there's anger ill will, and this can come up in the form of irritation or impatience, judgment, criticism of ourself, of others, of the world, and very enticing. You know, as we were talking about, this is the angry God realm. 
and our bodies tighten and our minds tighten and our jaws tighten and we're ready for a fight. <laughs> and then there is uh, sloth and torpor, which is just, it's a very tricky one because um, it can just be this subtle zoning out. You know, there's a feeling of, oh, I'm pretty calm here. I'm doing this Sazen thing pretty well. But there's just a subtle remove. We're not quite there. We're not, it's not, the world isn't so vivid. It's kind of, um, we're kind of half asleep. We're zoned out a little bit. Sometimes, um, you know, since I sit out, I can kind of see it in people's eyes. They're like just staring off <laughs> somewhere. Where are you? Where are you go? Where'd you go? And it could also be just an energetic holding back. You know, that the moment is, is here and you're not quite meeting it. And then there is uh, restlessness or worry. So this is where our mind and body can't deeply relax. It's agitated. We can't allow ourselves to be calm. And for some reason, there's something that can be very disconcerting around calm doesn't feel familiar or um, it's, it's not safe to be calm. So uh, again, I think this is, happens at a deeper level. We just kind of stir ourselves up. We grab onto something to be worried about, right? And you know, it's so interesting because what we do here is we create a container where you have nothing to worry about. You are literally being led. <laughs> By, by the schedule from one thing to another. And yet we can invent. It, we're just so ingenious. We can invent the smallest thing to be worried about. Right? And the Tenzo shaking her head. I mean, the kitchen can really give you a lot to worry about. <clears throat> or Yoki can give you a lot to worry about. I'm in the middle. There is going to be no lettuce left for me. I know it. You know, no salad. And then... Um, my favorite friend, doubt. So there's some way, again, doubt arises as a way of um, saying, I can't relax and trust what's being offered. I, I am going to engage that kind of mind that is just looking for how I can critique and um, dismiss what's being offered as not trustworthy. It's this way of staying separate and really not allowing you to be nourished, you know, because here's all of these things being offered and you're like, eh, I don't think so. So uh, one thing I wanted to say is, you know, when we begin to look at the hindrances um, and we talk about even in this chant, freeing ourselves from karmic effects. You know, the, the idea is it's so easy, it's so subtle, it's almost impossible not to do this, is um, these states of mind are very uncomfortable. They are the opposite of this kind of feeling of freedom. And so we so, so, so want to get rid of them. And as soon as we want to get rid of them, they, um, they have their grip on us. 
So I've been um, studying this uh, beautiful uh, indigenous uh, practice, um, which is, I'll just say this. I have been appreciating a deep teaching that I'm learning from, from this practice, which is to begin to appreciate And this is from the perspective of the collective, that each of these things that we do has a wisdom to it. And you can say, um, we understand this, that it's a way of surviving, that we actually need these ways of being so we think in order to survive. And how do we begin to kind of really appreciate the kind of creativity and ingenuity of these ways. So, you know, think about sloth and torpor, right? From the perspective of survival, what an amazing thing to be able to go to sleep, to, to get small and zone out so that you can survive what's overwhelmingly painful, you know? How amazing that our our graspy, greedy mind <laughs> makes sure we're going to be fed and cared for. That our uh, restlessness and worry makes sure that we're prepared in case we get hurt. That we're looking out, and actually not just for ourselves, but maybe, you know, this is this is this is in our blood. You know, this is passed on to us through our ancestors. How do we survive? Okay, I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to worry about some things, you know? So you understand. And the problem is that what happens is we just become those things. We, we get seduced by them. We get trapped inside of them. It's like we become under their spell, and then they can't be used in their purposeful way when needed. And um, when we're under their spell, we lose contact with the Dharma. We lose contact with our right to be here, you know, with this inherent birthright that it's okay for us to live. It's okay for us to breathe. It's okay for us to be present. It's okay for us to open and to be um, nourished by the world. It's okay to even relax and have joy, even while we're suffering. And it's okay for us to be able to um, show up fully and speak out on behalf of justice. So these hindrances, um, are, yes, they, they're a problem, but we have to um, learn how to be skillful with them, and we have to see what's the right medicine for them. And I really mean this not just as a kind of fun thing to play with, but, um, you know, yesterday I was so relaxed, I'm like, oh, I'm giving a talk, and look how relaxed I am, Sawson is so, and, um, Three o'clock in the morning, I woke up, <laughs> per usual. And there it was, doubt. I was like, 
freaked out. And I really had this feeling of like, there you are, I've been waiting for you, actually. I knew you were going to come. And I, I, I did not have a feeling of like, this is a real problem. This is part of the dance we do together, that the hindrance is, is part of the dance of Sashin. I dance all the time with doubt. It's not all the time when I come up here. I dance with doubt. Um, and it shows me um, these uh, ways of being that I've been, um, it shows me what I've been relying on. I, I've come to see doubt as a way of helping me make sure that I am being dedicated to um, teaching well, to uh, work on my talk as opposed to go to CNN. <laughs> you know, so the doubt really, I have, I have come to appreciate it. I also have come to appreciate it, and this is what I think is the most important message, is that it teaches me, okay, here's the doubt, here's this hindrance, here's this restriction I'm feeling. What is the Dharma again? What was that? What was the thing I'm supposed to do with this? Oh, yes. Oh, well, for this Sashin, and there's so many different ways we're talking about it in terms of the three medicines of the three minds of Zen. So last night, I brought those minds to that doubt. Grandmotherly mind. There you are. <laughs> Sweet doubt. <laughs> um, how might I work with you? How might I return and remember um, to what kindness feels like and how do I be kind? <clears throat> so when we talk about these three minds of Zen, I just want to say when we talk about mind, we're talking about shin, which is in, translated as heart-mind. But we're really not talking about something mental. It's actually a mind that's literally a whole body. So when we say grandmotherly mind or grandfatherly mind or ancestral mind, we're talking about an embodiment of something, an archetypal embodiment. So when we're applying this, when we're cultivating this mind, we have to make our own associations for yourself. What is that feeling that I get? What is the person or the being or the animal or the image or the kindness um, that's in my body that I remember? And, and you actually have to kind of, it's like um, bring that mind alive to meet that pain. And don't underestimate um, the medicine of kindness. You know, I think it can, right across the street, there's a little sign outside the door of the, of the um, church that says, be kind. And in some Catholic churches, you see kindness matters. And so um, I think we can underestimate the medicinal power of kindness. In my own experience, I don't. I have felt um, sometimes somebody will just show me some small kindness, and it, it it like penetrates in like a like this light, and 
all of a sudden I'm tearful and I'm melting and melting. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, this is powerful medicine. And what we do here, if you watch during Sashin, you can see that we are practicing kindness. We're practicing grandmotherly mind by the way we um, treat objects, um, by the way we take care of each other, by the way we serve each other. I wanted to reach something for, um, from you from Uchiyama Roshi, who did a commentary on the Tenzo Kyokan. He said, <clears throat> when you put a pot down roughly, banging it around on concrete or a tiled sink, it cries out in pain. If you are still unable to hear that cry, then you can hardly be said to be a person living out zazen in your daily life. So, as we sit zazen, this is the mystery. I don't know why this happens. Uh, we pay a little bit of a price for it with our backs and our <laughs> necks and our shoulders, but it's powerful medicine. When we sit zazen, something starts to soften and we get to, our senses get more sensitized and we can hear the cry of a pot. We can, we're affected by um, someone uh, just rushing in a little bit, you know. We are um, sensitized, we're feeling our sensory world in, an in, an in another way. And this is a good thing. So we create this environment that's hopefully safe enough that we can begin to let those um, soft, we can soften. Uh, Uchiyama says, you know, um, I love this is another great quote. The function of Dharma and Zazen, I'm, I'm pausing because I don't think I can pronounce this word right, so I'm just going to do my best. The function of the Dharma and of Zazen is to care for the obstress, I can't do it, obstressperous? Obstressperous. The function of the Dharma and of Zazen is to care for the obstressperous, you know that, do you know what that word means? You know the, okay, good. <laughs> it's not just me. Uh, the, it's like the um, fussy, you know, you could say the, 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 the part that has a lot of um, um, boundaries and edges and irritations, that part of us. To care for that part of ourselves in the same way a mother lulls her baby to sleep, which is a beautiful image. So we take all of that fussiness, you know, that we feel after a second period of zazen or our knees hurting while we're uh, waiting for the servers to come back in for seconds. And we, with this zazen mind, we kind of, we kind of lull it to sleep a little bit. We soften it. So this is grandmotherly mind. And we do this um, so that we can uh, have this sensory, this, this experiential sense in our bodies and keep that with us when we leave. And you might notice that. It's, it's there. We can feel it. We can feel it with each other. 
whether we believe it or not, or we're stuck inside of irritation and sloth and torpor, that grandmotherly mind is, is actually there, kind of working on us. <clears throat> and then we have, um, so that's um, what I'm, you know, we call this also ancestral mind. And during, um, during service, we decided to do the full morning service because we wanted, frankly, I wanted to bring the ancestors in. And this um, grandmotherly mind has been passed through us. You know, it's, it's, it's all of our ancestors caring for us, loving us, passing on the Dharma, keeping us alive, our literal ancestors, so that we could survive and be here today. We are um, intimate with all of them. They are holding us and supporting us. And when we sit zazen, it's like the, um, the field of that kind of rational, separate self that's so such the poison of our, our current way of looking at the world begins to kind of, the veil begins to part a little bit and we can begin to feel that. And we're all representing that. So we, we, we in this practice, not just zazen, but, um, but honoring ancestors is a part of that cultivation of grandmotherly mind, of ancestral mind. And we have to ritualize it in order to be in contact with it for most of us. So then I want to talk about the play part of um, joyful mind or community mind. You know, I think it is actually our nature to be generous. And I believe it is our nature to want to serve others. And so we just get disconnected from that. And I think the reason I love Sashin so much is because we get to enact that, we play that, we ritualize that. And it's so powerful. So we're really just playing here, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're learning what community feels like and how community is the thing that reminds us of the collective and um, asks us to step in and have a sense of belonging. So everybody has a job here. Everybody is doing something. We all want to belong. And so we set this structure up so that we all can feel a sense of belonging. We all have our spot, our seat. You know, that's your seat. And you get to lay there during break and you get to sit there and we are serving you and we're asking you to do this thing, and you're receiving that thing, and we all get to be part of it. I think we desire that so much. And we get to practice what it feels like to return to each other when we're hurt or we're harmed. You know, we were celebrating this sewing, this sewing of the robe, and um, I had just been in a, a gathering where somebody said that in, there was a kind of research that was done and they said in um, communities where the women all knit together, there's a better ability for them to resolve conflict. <laughs> yes, I could see that's true. 
And, you know, when we um, sew together, right, we are um, learning how to work with each other. And as a sewing teacher knows, you know, it looks all lovely from the outside, but the details of it is <laughs> lots of conflict, you know, lots of little irritations. My stitches suck. They look terrible. I have to... <laughs> Um, I, I, I put this panel in the wrong place with that panel and I have to tear it all apart. People's feelings get hurt. Um, all sorts of little things of life show up and yet the, 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 there's something that binds it together through that project. So we do these things together so that we can learn how to be with all of those um, um, painful ways of being. And we learn how to keep the balance of the whole. And I, I wonder if you can all see this, you know? To me, Orioki, my, my mind, this is what happens to me in Orioki. All I'm thinking about is everybody's bodies. You know, this is what comes up for me. How, how, how are everyone's knees? How are everyone's back? <laughs> and the beauty of the ceremony of Orioki is we're holding all of these different elements. So the soku is uh, we're wanting to sit, seat people efficiently and quickly, but we don't want people to feel rushed, right? So the soku is thinking, how do I do this meal in such a way that we can care for everybody's bodies, care for everybody being fed, care for the schedule, and um, and then the lovely thing is, like, stuff happens, right? <laughs> so even those tongs yesterday for the apple salad, you know, I thought, <laughs> I thought, you know, this is the fun, this is the play. <laughs> we could cut five minutes out of this whole ritual if we had spoons instead of tongs. <laughs> so the balance is always like, okay, you know, but if, if I came across and like ran over the soku and said, what's with those tongs? Or, you know, I'm causing karmic pain, you know, in my intention to want to like make sure everybody's bodies are cared for, I might unnecessarily step on the heart of the soku or the tenzo. So this is the, this is the dance we do and this is the way we live our lives. We just don't see it on the outside. But we can see that as we notice. And then beautifully, how do we harmonize together? And, and, um, and again, we take this out into the world after Sashin and look at how is my collective greed or my collective, I mean, my individual greed, my individual feeling hurting others. You know, so even this idea you know, I'm in, the, I'm in the prime real estate in Orioke. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm served first. <laughs> and out in the real world, you know, the people who have all the power, they get served first and they can eat as much as they want. And all those, you know, terrible people, poor people in the back or in the middle who get served last, you know, they're at a great disadvantage. But we don't do it that way. We wait till every person is served and we all eat together. We make sure in those bowls is enough for everybody. How do, how do we take that spirit with us? 
I'm really not talking about the hindrances so much, am I? But this is what we can apply. Um, How do we apply joyful mind to our suffering? And again, I want to quote Dogen this time. Since everything, in this case, even misfortune is our life, what is essential, especially in these circumstances, is to meet adversity with an attitude of equanimity. If we fall into hell, then we need to the resolve to see that hell is our home. When we are being boiled in the demon's cauldron, that is where we have to do zazen. When we are pursued up a mountain of needles in our knees, I'm adding that, <laughs> we should be willing to climb that mountain hand over hand, even at the risk of our life. When we throw all our life energy into whatever we might encounter, no demon can help but retreat. What a way to live. <laughs> so if you didn't understand the practice, you might just see this as slightly you know, masochistic slash you know, sadistic. But it isn't at all. We are really cultivating a capacity to hold pain in a way in which we can joyfully be with that pain. And we do that so we, we, we can develop an equanimity with pain and suffering. And when we develop that equanimity with pain and suffering, we can go into the world of suffering. There is so much suffering. And it's just getting worse. And it's good to talk about how we want to um, be able to do that, but we actually have to practice it. We have to feel that pain and suffering and recognize this, really, the third mind, this Mother Earth mind, this big mind that is wider than that and can hold that. And when we do that, we're not going to be manipulated by the world. You know, our world is always trying to tell us you need more of this and less of that, and you have to avoid this and go towards that. And that's what creates so much karmic pain. When we're still and we're equanimous, we actually are not going to get fooled by the things of the world. You know, we can stay clear and available. So this idea, I just want to say, of um, this whole, we we speak in in this practice, the whole world is us. We find that paradoxically by being with each thing in an intimate way. So um, this is the mystery I don't really know. I can't explain why this is the case. But we are also in Zen asking to be with every small little detail with a wholehearted, sincere kind of um, balance. And uh, that allows us to just be with things as they are. And something releases in the mind. I I can't really explain it. But something opens up. And um, we see the whole world in the teacup. We see all of our karma and the ways we move around, and then we see the kindness of um, what's being offered to us. I keep saying, I mean, you all know this, right? I just want to remind you in case you forget and wonder why you're here, (laughs) sitting for the next eight hours. So I I guess I would just encourage each of you that um, we don't have to get anywhere. We're not going anywhere. We're not... um, 
you know, you may all be visited by your demons, you know, in the middle of the night, in a period of zazen. Um, they will come and find you. And they're um, doing their part in helping you to wake up. So can you relax with them? Can you, as Reb would say, can you welcome them? Can you play with them joyfully, playfully? What are you doing here? And what are you offering me right now? <laughs> and what, what is it that you believe? We engage it. We don't tighten up against it or push it away or indulge it either, you know? So discipline is really important, right? We don't, if sloth and torpor wants us to go escape somewhere, we, we play with it, but we, we do it and say, you know what, um, you're going to be tired, let's just do it um, on the cushion. And you can just, you know, be lazy and tired, but I'll be, you know, let's just do it while we're sitting upright. <laughs> We have to be very imaginative. And um, maybe this is how it is when you have children, I'm thinking, right? Um, for the parents out there, you know? How do we bring them along and get them doing what they need to be doing? For my dogs, I just say, you know, you want a treat? <laughs> That's why they're so spoiled. <laughs> What's the medicine? that's going to help them really not to kind of calm down and not torture you so much. And, um, and rest in each other, really. It's a beautiful thing. Every single one of you, by your returning and being there and doing your work, is just creating this beautiful field of, you know, grandmotherly mind, joyful mind, and wide mind. So I'm actually, how many minutes do I have? You have 16 minutes. Oh, my God. Isn't it amazing when you, when you do sashin, like time just expands. <laughs> it does all kinds of warpy things, you know? I, I do want to read something um, that, um, that um, John sent this morning, actually. Uh, underneath your um, Enzo, yes? I don't know who this author is. I couldn't make it out, but I'm going to read it. <coughs> I changed one word um, on it. I hope you don't mind. But I thought it was just a sweet, a sweet um, expression of our practice. <clears throat> and it's actually a teaching. So you can take this teaching and, and use it in your zazen. Let go of hundreds of years and relax completely. Open your hands and walk, innocent. Thousands of words, myriad interpretations, are only to free you from obstructions. If you want to know the undying person in the hut, I think our life is full of um, grief. Because we don't know always in the moment what's the non-harmful, best way to go. We just don't. We can't. To expect that of ourselves is a kind of violence, right? And, uh, and so there's something sacred about the grieving. 
And um, for me, when I let myself grieve, it's like the whole world comes in to support me, right? That something loosens up, right? That criticism kind of can unwind if we let go of that mind and just sit in the pain of our, our wish to have had it turn out a different way. And we don't even know ultimately what was meant to be, you know? We have a lot of ideas, and we grip those ideas. Right? And we don't even know what good results, you know? In our society, we think this is a mistake, this is a mistake, because we have less money, you know? We have more trouble. And we don't even know ultimately what the um, impact is, you know? the teaching is. So there's a way we can kind of, if we, if we don't, uh, if we open that mind up and just, you know, surrender, I don't know. I just did the best I can in every moment. Now I know. And I have to feel through that. The critical mind is a way of wanting to make reality a kind of thing we can control, you know. That we think we need the criticism to save ourselves from ever being vulnerable to dependent co-arising again. You know, many, many factors beyond what any one of us could know. And, um, and, it, and it, it's like, um, I sometimes say to my critical mind, um, I got it, <laughs> you know, okay, enough. You know, and that's where that kind mind really needs to come in and hold you. And I think... You know, the generosity of you being, bringing in that, that vulnerability, that, you know, it's a gift. So this is how our hindrances are a gift. You know, pain is sacred. It's honorable when it comes straight from the body and from a sense of opening up to the pain of disconnection and the desire for connection. I hope you enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.